Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Immig, from 88.9. All right, Bobby, 138 pages, 40 recommendations, and this is really representative of the next wave of development for downtown Milwaukee. A big report called Connecting MKE, issued by the um, city of Milwaukee and, and many community partners, looking at a 2040 vision to really increase the population density, the infrastructure, the pedestrian friendliness of downtown Milwaukee. Yeah, so this plan is like the first one since 2010 to focus on downtown and it's you know i mean these plans they a lot of research goes into them a lot of like talking to the community a lot of like sort of trying to read the tea leaves and see see what's going to happen and what you hope to have happen and you know maybe some of it happens the way you plan maybe some of it doesn't happen at all maybe some of it happens sort of develops in a little different way than you think but it's good to talk about it right it's good to have a plan it's good to have an idea and especially considering the kind of boom in downtown in the 21st century, it's definitely kind of good to keep talking about it so that things move in the right direction and don't stagnate and we can move forward, right? Yeah, and, and all major cities go through a, a version of this kind of strategic planning. And I'm looking at just the very first page of this Connecting MKE report. And some of the big highlights are growing downtown's population to 40,000 residents by 2040, adding about 15,000 housing units to downtown by 2040, which is the goal there as well of a 20% of those housing units being affordable housing, and then growing the overall employment picture in downtown Milwaukee to 100,000 jobs by 2040. There's also six big ideas that we're going to talk about later in the podcast, um, as well as 40 recommendations. We won't get to all 40 recommendations, but they all flow up to those six big ideas. So we'll step through those. But what are some of those uh, just from the very, very bird's eye, Bobby, we're talking about uh, some of the big roadways like 6th Street and Water Street becoming a bit narrower. We're talking about adding some fixed rail lines to the hop, also potentially removing portions of 794. So where do you want to start on this? There's so much. I mean, I think that in the broad view, as you say, there's 40 recommendations that sort of fit into like eight sort of overarching goals. And the goals are housing and neighborhoods, business and education, retail services, food and nightlife, arts, culture, entertainment and sports, sustainability and resilience, transportation and mobility, streets and public space, and land use and development. So, I mean, this is a really intensive look at really every aspect of life downtown, right? From living there to working there to playing there to getting around, all sorts of stuff. And as you say, there's 40 recommendations. But so as you say that, you know, they have these sort of big ideas that we're going to talk about, these sort of catalytic projects that I think they think if we can do these kinds of catalytic projects, they'll attract people They'll help retain people that are already here. And they're just sort of ways for Milwaukee to think big and to look and actually be a city that thinks big. That is one thing I've heard in a lot of stories we've done here at Radio Milwaukee over the years. Uh, Some of our podcasts, Tariq Moody, who's actually on the City Planning Commission, said this in By Every Measure that just about Milwaukee's tendency to to think small. And this report shows how the city is trying to think differently under new leadership and now a decade removed from that 2010 plan, there really are some big, big ideas. And you mentioned those eight goals. There's also six big ideas that guide those 40 recommendations. Let me just step through those big ideas. Of course, number one is growing downtown, which we've talked about the population, housing, uh, nightlife, also redesigning streets as public places. And throughout this report, there's a lot of talk about pedestrian scale. We really don't have a lot of places like that aren't like river walks or totally separated from neighborhoods and traffic. So that'll be interesting to see how that comes together. 
but also um, improving streets to support all users, which is kind of that folds into that idea of public places. Another one of the big ideas is investing in parks and gathering places and creating you know, world-class, what they're calling gathering places at Red Arrow Park and Pear Marquette Park, Cathedral Square, those downtown parks. And then also expanding and enhancing transit and reconnect places divided by human-made barriers. And that's where this uh, rethinking of 794 comes in, transforming that corridor into what they're saying, a new way that connects new places and connections. Yeah, I think that that, you know, having taken down the Park East Freeway and seeing the way that sort of allowed downtown to kind of knit back into Haymarket and tying then into Bronzeville and like and opening so much land for development, which took a little time to get going, that development, but it's come, right? I mean, we have Deer District, we have all kinds of stuff happening both east and west of the river or that has already happened. And I think that the same vision is what's guiding the idea of removing some of 794 just downtown. Nobody's talking about getting rid of the Hone Bridge. <laughs> it's just like... Maybe a little, little nervous. I take that Hone Bridge every yeah, day. Just part of that spur <laughs> downtown and replacing it with a, a boulevard. It becomes walkable. You connect downtown to the third ward. You open up land for development, for retail, for housing, for all sorts of things. So that's the kind of thing... I think, again, is, is thinking big. And people thought, you know, there were skeptics when the Park East came down, but it, when it came down, it actually came to pass, you know, what was predicted for that whole stretch. And it's been transformational. Well, obviously a lot of ground to cover here. We're not going to get to all 138 pages on the podcast. We want to leave you, the listeners, some reading, but um, we're going to go through some of the big highlights, some of those catalytic projects that the report names. We're going to go through that next on Urban Spelunking. the secret behind the programming you love? It's all funded by the Honor System. As a public radio station, we're based on a very simple model. We try to do something meaningful, connecting with you through music and stories. And then we count on those who appreciate what we do to show their support. Are you one of them? Show your support by visiting RadioMilwaukee.org and joining today. All right, Bobby, we're back talking about this Connecting MKE 2040 vision that the city of Milwaukee has just released. And we should mention too, that there is still some time for the public to weigh in. And we'll tell you more about kind of the next steps as we conclude here, but let's start with some of those catalytic projects. Let's get into the specifics here because there are four proposed extensions to the hop. These projects are the ones that are really gonna be the things that I think people latch onto and get excited about. But the streetcar extensions, they're talking about four of them, one in West Town, which would be great because that's where the Deer District is. That's where the convention center is. Is one that goes up to Bronzeville which would go up, you know, King Drive through the Bronzeville Cultural and Entertainment District would also sort of include Haymarket, which is like passing through Schlitz Park. There's one, talk of one going down into Walker's Point and another one that would go up to the east side. Uh, and, you know, all of these have been in discussion for a long time. So this is none of this part is really all that new. It's just a matter of getting it into this plan, because once the streetcar goes to enough neighborhoods, you get this sort of density of usage that causes ridership to increase, right? I mean, there are always expensive systems to build, so it takes time to build them. And, you know, Milwaukee's got a good start on a system. Later this year, hopefully the um, lakefront line will open. Yeah, that's going to be right by the Couture, right? Right. And they've already poured the concrete. I remember that was headlines when that happened. So Yes, um. yes. And so now (laughs) they're actually working on it again right now, continuing the last stretch of the tracks to the Couture And that's an interesting case where they can build those tracks on a construction site. So it's not as disruptive, right? 
Right, right, right. Well, actually, when they built the initial system, they put the tracks and the poles for the wires and the stations in along the route or along the most of the route already anyway. So a lot of it, a lot of, yeah, a lot of that's already there. They're just wow, having to I do the that. last sort of connection oh, okay. at the, at the couture site. But then once you can like have it go up to the east side so people can use it to go to the east side and to UWM and you can have it go into neighborhoods like Bronzeville and Walker's Point, people who work downtown can commute to work, right? And um, people who are going out at night can use it. When you're talking about connecting Bronzeville and Walker's Point and the east side, I mean, that really changes the whole system. Absolutely, right? Then it's a, it's, that's literally a game changer that, you know, you're going to go from having, I mean, you add even just like one of those neighborhood ones and it's going to be a massive change. And just think about if you could extend, you know, the West Town line up Vale Phillips past the convention center, past, you know, through this new Vale Phillips Plaza up to the Deer District, even that extension alone, just think how much more ridership it'll get. Yeah, I mean, you think about how the streetcar is not connected to the Deer District, and that just seems like such a missed opportunity. Yeah. Of, of the four, I hope, uh, I mean, they're all really valid. I'd love to see the Bronzeville one happen as well for access to jobs. And you think about um, housing and how that folds into this plan, that streetcar line running through Bronzeville would make a huge impact. But, you know, you think about how many people go to the Deer District for all the various things and how much easier that would be if there was a streetcar line there. Yeah, and I think that once the lakefront line opens up, like it's not going to open up in time for this year's festivals, but it should be open in time for next year's festivals. And the fact that you'll be able to take it basically almost, you know, to within a block of Summerfest and a block of all the ethnic festivals and all the stuff that's happening at the lakefront, I think that alone is also going to really boost ridership. Because suddenly you don't have to park right where everybody wants to be, right? I mean, if yeah. you're, <laughs> yeah. if you live downtown or you can take the bus downtown, then you don't need a car at all because then you can hop the hop the hop and, yeah. and get there. But even if you have to drive from a, a distant neighborhood, you suddenly don't have to find yourself at the intersection of, you know, Michigan and Lincoln Memorial Drive where nobody wants to be during Summerfest because there's so much auto traffic and pedestrian traffic and everything else. You can just leave your car elsewhere and hop in for free. Um, I think it's a lot of people are going to start using it once that opens. Okay, so we covered the streetcar. That's the first of the catalytic projects we're going to mention here in our conversation. What's next? I think this is a big one that people have been sort of asking about lately, and that's what's going to happen to the site of the public museum when it moves to the future museum. Yes, yes. And one of the one of the catalytic projects here is opening that site, the site of the current museum, the site of the current state office building just across the street, and also MacArthur Square like redevelopment of that whole area. And the goal for the city in this report is to include mixed income housing, um, neighborhood supporting commercial uses on the ground floor of buildings, you know, so like maybe a grocery store, things like that. Now, the museum building itself, the former one or the current one, uh, before it becomes the former one, had a lot of deferred maintenance needs. Is that part of the plan here of redeveloping it into housing where it, it would make more sense then if it's being redeveloped as a housing unit or housing... I would say based on the hypothetical rendering that's attached to it, it shows a, a, a tower there. So we're talking a teardown and a, and a rebuild. I don't, I would be surprised if the current building was kept. Yeah. Because um, that was the big conversation I had people asking me, so what's happening to the old old museum? And I thought, I was like, I'm pretty sure it's going to get knocked down. I think. I would think, yeah. And especially yeah. if they're looking to do um, some sort of mixed use thing that would have apartments. And I mean, it has no windows. It's, <laughs> you would have to. You know what I mean? It's, it's, and it's yeah. already got all this deferred maintenance. I, I can't imagine that that it would be saved. 
The only thing is that'd be kind of cool to live in the old museum, but I suppose if you, you, you probably would want windows too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they could probably punch windows in, but like, right. again, like at what point are you spending so much money to rehab this building that you could do something better? Another one of these is public space management organization for parks and public spaces. And they're talking specifically about implementing new designs and features and amenities at Red Arrow Park, Fair Marquette Park, Zeidler Union Square on Michigan and Cathedral Square Park. And it's interesting to look at the drawings they have for these that highlight installing a permanent beer garden at Pier Marquette. It's, it's an interesting, it's all new landscaping. It's it's just looking at, at, you know, play sets for kids, all this kind of thing. Basically, they're going to try and double, if they're hoping to double the downtown population, you need to have green space for all these people to enjoy, right? Yeah, what I love is there's a lot of renderings of what this might look like, and they do present this with a little asterisk that these these renderings are not final and they're not fully approved, but it gives you a sense for what they're thinking. And it does, some of the plazas that we're seeing in these public areas, you know, and especially the connections where those plazas meet the water, it really does feel big and kind of big city. It feels... Um, I don't know, kind of the uh, the waterfront we deserve in some of these public spaces that Milwaukee lacks. It almost feels like this is a long time coming, at least that's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they've done work on all of these parks. I mean, over the years, they've like, each park has gotten some attention, but I don't know that there has really been sort of a comprehensive plan that really kind of looks at all of them as a group and how they serve their different parts of the city and how they can better serve the different parts of downtown. So I think it's nice for them to get this kind of overarching look at them all as one kind of downtown green space plan. Yeah. And they're also talking about in the report about forming, they didn't uh, name the specific what this committee would be called, but some kind of body that is um, a committee that is dedicated to these parks beyond the support they have right now. So having a dedicated group that is, is overseeing this effort. Yeah. Which I think is kind of key for, for long-term, right? I mean, it's easy enough to find some money somewhere and like, put in some benches and some pretty plantings. (laughs) If you walk away, you know, then if there's not some sort of long-term mechanism for keeping it maintained and continuing to have it evolve into what people need and want, then you just have to keep doing this over and over again, right? Let's talk about Water Street. This is um, obviously a huge attraction for so many Water Street is uh, bustling. I mean, you go there any night, especially on the weekends, and there's lines out the door at a lot of the places. It is really the center of entertainment in downtown. And in this plan, the redesigned North Water Street would actually reduce traffic and reduce cars on that street to make it more pedestrian friendly. Yeah, so I mean, it's talking about like widening sidewalks, narrowing driving lanes, that sort of thing. And I think that's a similar in the 6th Street complete street plan, which uh, is a separate catalytic project, but similar. And that's really relevant because that's where at, at McKinley Street is where, where the new museum will be. So that'll be a big area where, where people are going into. But 6th Street, I mean, is a huge connection point to downtown for the south side. And I'm thinking like 5th Street too is really busy, but 6th Street especially. I think they think that if 794 were to be transformed into something more like a boulevard, that some traffic might end up on 6th Street, sort of in- increasing the load on that busy corridor. And, you know, I think they're they're trying to make it more bike friendly, more pedestrian friendly, more transit friendly. And I think it's also important because it's, you know, these days there are very few streets anymore that go through downtown. 
I don't know if you've noticed this, but, you know, with Water Street goes all the way through, 6th Street goes all the way through, but, you know, 5th Street doesn't go through anymore, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, those don't go through anymore, 4th Street uh, now dead ends at um, the Deer District, 3rd Street dead ends because of the construction of the mall and, you know, at Wisconsin Avenue, Mm -hmm. Um, 2nd Street narrows now because of the Milwaukee Symphony Center. You know, there's just very few streets that go through. And so I think 6th Street is really seen as a an arterial connector because it runs from south. You know, you can go from Walker's Point across the viaduct into downtown, through downtown, into Halyard Park. Do you know what I mean? It, it really lets you follow that long trajectory. And I think the goal is to make that just sort of a better experience for everyone involved. Plus, it also has freeway on and off ramps. Yeah, I'm thinking about if uh, 6th Street and Water Street both become more narrow, of course, that will have the effect of easing traffic and making it more pedestrian friendly. But, you know, with with those streets that go through downtown already being uh, a very short list, I do wonder what that'll do for motorists trying to get through downtown. But then I also think about big other big cities that I've been to, especially those in the Rust Belt, um, you know, downtown sometimes it's a place that you don't drive your car. You try to avoid, you try to bypass downtown for these very reasons because in other cities, they tend to be more pedestrian friendly. So maybe we're just uh, going to have to cope with that, that motor traffic through downtown, at least on these streets, will decrease. And I mean, people just have to find other ways to get to and from where they're going. But looking at the big vision for making these more pedestrian friendly, you can see kind of what, what they're aiming for. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, maybe if you still do feel like you need to drive downtown because of where else you live, you know, maybe you live out in a suburb and it's just, you know, but maybe downtown becomes a place where you just drop your car somewhere and then you navigate by other means, right? You take a bubbler bike, you ride a scooter, you walk, right. you take the hop. You know, and there's and there's all right. sorts of ways then that you can enjoy downtown in a much more friendly way by doing that. All right, we are almost through these catalytic projects. I do want to talk a bit about the Performing Arts Center parking garage. Me too. I know our, friend, our friends over at Milwaukee Record love that parking garage and the famous snow pile that sits outside of it. Anytime that you go to a show at the Marcus Center, you park in this garage. What's the future? Is this going to be replaced? Yeah, I mean, I think this is something that has been discussed before because it is a very high profile site. It's right in the middle of East Town, basically. It's, it's a full square block that's given over to nothing but a parking structure. And especially at a time when we build buildings that include parking structures in them, it seems like a sort of colossal waste of valuable downtown real estate. Yeah, it is definitely prime real estate. And I can tell you as somebody who's been late to the first song in a musical um, <laughs> just once, but it was it was the parking. It's just trying to get into that parking structure and the line that forms before showtime. I mean, you are really, uh, if you don't get there early, it's a mess. So I'm thinking about um, ways they might be able to make that easier to get in and out and get to these shows and, and get to that first act, that first number. Right. Well, I think they're thinking what what would happen there is a, a mixed use tower again, which would be, again, trying to get to that goal of doubling downtown population. It would be an apartment tower, I think, is the goal with uh, some mixed use. So perhaps some retail at street level, maybe restaurants, maybe bars, maybe shops, maybe whatever. And then I'm guessing that it would include some parking within the building as, as I said, as has become the case, you know, when the BMO tower was built across from city hall, it's got a parking structure integrated into it. When, you know, all of these buildings, as they build them now, they integrate the parking either underground or it's, you know, maybe the first few stories and it's hidden behind a facade. So you can't really tell it's parking, but the idea of giving over an entire square block to nothing but a parking structure is pretty retrograde <laughs> for, yeah. you know, for urban 
places these days, and they do make a reference to how this could spur the development of underutilized sites in the area, including surface parking lots along Water Street and Riverwalk. And I was thinking the same sort of thing where not even just surface lots, of, of which there are still many downtown, but there's also other huge parking structures downtown. Like you think of the one on Kitty Corner from the 411 building on Michigan and Milwaukee Street. That takes up like half a square block. You know, you think of the one behind the Chase Bank Tower on water. It's it, it's entire it's an entire block of riverfront property that's a parking structure. You know, I mean, this would be prime real estate yeah. for apartments or for all sorts of things, but we've given it over to nothing but a parking structure. <laughs> so, I mean, there's lots of lots of places downtown where you know this could. I mean, maybe the city could find ways to encourage. Uh, owners of those lots to work on developments that would be much more useful to the city. And it could still, again, include parking within these, you know, in say a building or something, but but not just give it over entirely to, to parking. And I will say this is just a personal view of mine, but I think I have a little bit of a phobia of parking structures. I just hate being in them. I hate, hate trying to find my car in them. I feel like they're always kind of weirdly designed. I, I never know where I'm going. And that one is such a big and sprawling one. Maybe there's a there's like a future story for like Milwaukee's parking structures ranked or something. But I think a lot of people are frightened in them because they're dark. They're You're often alone in there. They're, um, as you say, they're sometimes kind of hard to navigate because you can't tell which ramp you're on and like (laughs) they're not always intuitive, you know. And sometimes they're just really ugly, you know. Oh, yeah. Like some of the ones, I mean, I'm going to just be frank and say some of the ones I just named. Yeah. And I guess that's what I'm getting at is like, you know, it's just refreshing to go through this report and see some of these modern ideas and, and, and renderings that resemble more modern cities that have more of this infrastructure, you know, the pedestrian. Milwaukee is a driving city, you know, and it's, I think yep. that's going to be a culture change for, for downtown. The idea that, yeah, maybe you do park a little away from your destination and you get on the hop. There's got to be a lot of folks listening right now that um, it just are, are, are used to, like you go to a show, you drive and you park there and you get there early because the parking situation's a mess. And But I wonder, you know, when we have more of this infrastructure, more of these streetcar locations, um, you know, things become more walkable, if that'll change Milwaukee's culture. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see. It is going to be, I mean, it is going to take some change in the way we, we do things. And some people are going to be more amenable to that than others, um, as is always the case. Well, let's talk. I think there's one more of the catalytic developments and we can wrap up here about this. Uh, we touched on it briefly about the I-794 corridor in Clyburn Street. What's happening there? Yeah. So again, this is another one that's been being discussed quite a bit before this even came out. And it's, you know, people view it as a barrier between downtown and the Third Ward and the lakefront. And they also, when they walk past along it or drive along it or walk through it, they see all of this dead space underneath, right? And I mean, we've made some effort to use some of that space for the public market. I mean, some of it's parking where there's, you know, there's pickleball courts <laughs> across from the public market. There's going to be a dog yep. park on some of it. But there's really a limit to what you can do underneath a freeway, right? And you, you come back to the same thing that you were saying about parking structures. People are, are afraid at night. It's dark. It's, you know, you feel vulnerable. But this, you know, the what the parkies taught us was that you don't, have to have that there, right? I mean, you can replace it with a street level system that's more open, more inviting, opens up land for housing, for retail, for offices, for all sorts of things. And, you know, the amount of ask that you're 
you're making of commuters is not that much, right? When they when they did the research for the Park East Freeway, I mean, they did the, and I don't remember the exact amount of time, but but the amount of time that was going to add to people's commute if the for people who rode on it was was minuscule. It was like a minute or less, you know what I mean? And so it's not really a massive ask for commuters, although people who drive those sections probably are. This one gave me a little pause because I do take the Hone Bridge and connect to 94 every day, uh, especially if I'm going out west uh, towards my parents. And, you know, I use that every day. And we're talking about the section really after, like if you're heading into downtown, going eastbound on 94, after the market interchange and it splits off into 43, the section beyond that is 794. So we're talking right. about the section after the market interchange up until the Hone Bridge, right? That That's, that's the section of 794. Yeah, that's the area they're talking about. I mean, whether they would specifically go entirely, get rid of from the market interchange all the way to the Hone Bridge, or if it would just start east of the river. It's I don't, I don't know that those details have been uh, worked out, but that's definitely the section. We should mention the next steps, that, that this is not final yet, and there is still some opportunities for the public to weigh in. And of course, the city council needs to fully approve this plan with an ordinance. So where do things stand and what's next? So we'll have to go to the city plan commission and then to the common council. But before that happens, um, there's still going to be another public meeting, sort of open house format public meeting on Thursday, May 11th from 3.30 to 6.30 at the 3rd Street Market Hall. Okay. In the old Grand Avenue Mall. And you can go there and you can look at renderings and you can see the information and you can talk to people who work at the Department of City Development at the Downtown Business Improvement District. And then you can also give them feedback. If you can't make that, there is a website called connectingmke.com, which uh, is hosting a sort of nonstop virtual open house. And you can see all of the same information there. And you can also provide feedback there. And that is active through May 22nd. So the goal, I think, is to have the Common Council uh, discuss and vote on this by sometime this summer. All right. So there's still definitely time to, to weigh in and to digest all this information. I mean, the renderings will, will give you a sense for what's going on, but these catalytic projects that we focused on here in the second half, I think really tell you the story. And when you read those 40 recommendations, you'll see exactly how those tie into these these uh, catalytic projects, those six big ideas, and those eight goals we mentioned at the beginning. So, And it definitely bears mentioning again, even though I think we said it, is that the renderings are all hypothetical at this point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. A lot of the ideas are, are broad you know, lacking a ton of specifics because, I mean, there's a lot, these are big ideas. These are big projects. They're uh, often game-changing projects. They're not the kind of thing that, not all of this has been, deter- been determined yet. So if you're looking for definitive answers, they're not here. But I think that's because you can theoretically be part of that by sharing your feedback. And I think we did in the, in the beginning, but I mean, the last time the city went through this process was in 2010. And this one will conclude in 2040. So this is a 30-year, uh, you know, a 30-year gap between these two plans. You know, it's 2023, so this is still 17 years of development. And I mean, this is a really broad view. So this is not something that's happening in the next few years or even the end of this decade. And I dare say that even if the plan is approved, things change, right? I mean, some of these things may happen exactly as discussed. Some things may end up being altered somewhat based on conditions, based on financial picture, based on all sorts of things. Some of them may not happen, right? I mean, it's it's just a means for getting this stuff out there for people to talk about and to try and spur good things happening. 
Well, you can find all 138 pages of this report and in the description box of this player, we've got a link to it, plus those renderings as well. You want to really see the renderings as you're paging through the report. A lot of data to go through. We hope this conversation helps shed some light on it. But if you want to learn more, of course, uh, find information about that, that May public information session. We'll have links about that in the description box as well. Podcasts here on 88.9 are produced by Kiri Salinas, and she's got her work cut out for us this week as we uh, take a deep dive in this data. We thank you, Kiri. And then uh, take a minute to, to rate and review the podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. And as we share this podcast on social media, um, if you're hearing this through Facebook, leave some comments. We'd love to hear what you're thinking about, about all these renderings. So go ahead and comment on the Facebook feed or leave us a review. We want to hear from you. All right, Bobby, next week, we're, we're going to actually be in downtown Milwaukee um, at a church. We are. We're going to be at Redeemer on 19th in Wisconsin, uh, which is a Lutheran church, which was apparently the first Lutheran church in the city to switch entirely to English language services back in the day. It's also well known to some people in the music scene because for many, many years it's been home to the Coffee House, which is a popular sort of uh, folk and singer-songwriter music venue. So we're going to go there and we'll air that next week. Great. Well, we'll see you there. See you then. <laughs>